God is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples who will reflect His glory in all spheres of life. The Bible describes and confirms this mission from beginning to end. Woven into the creation of Adam and Eve, the mission extended to all nations through God's promise to Abraham. Jesus took up this same mission and taught it to His disciples. Today, those who follow Christ take on His mission. We were designed to reflect His glory in every sphere of life, not only in this present life, but in the life which is to come, throughout the heavens and the earth. Until then, will you give your life to God? Will you join His mission? Well, good morning, Northland. Happy Labor Day weekend. How many of you are off tomorrow? Anybody? Oh, what? Well, all right. How many of you got to work tomorrow? All right, we'll be praying for you. Uh, <laughs> just loosen up. All right, here, uh, we're in our series Made for Mission. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. As I was thinking about where we were going this weekend, I was trying to think of things that draw things. And so I had actually a couple of things written down. The, the first thing that I actually had written down was uh, this idea of love bugs. I have not experienced love bugs, but anybody know what I'm talking about, love bugs? Undoubtedly, they are attracted to cars is what I hear. Uh, I have not seen any attracted to my car yet. I'm praying that we'll, we'll prevent that whole thing, but I, I think that's not even going to be possible. So I was thinking about that, but then I also thought about what happened this weekend. Uh, we kicked off college football. Anybody binge watch college football? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I heard, uh, be, because you have to understand, I have not been a Florida fan, like a Florida Gator fan, an FSU fan, a UCF fan, a Miami fan. <laughs> I haven't been any fan. But I heard that all of the Florida teams won, except FSU plays tonight, and we're praying for them to win? So we have a few of you, but I guess for the most part, we have other fans in the house. So obviously college football drew a, drew a lot of people this weekend. And I would say that living in Orlando, the happiest place on earth definitely draws people in. Anybody know what the happiest place on earth is? Yeah, yeah D Disney World. Uh, now, they, they, or let's put it this way. They say, the proverbial they say it's the happiest place on earth until you go there and you have to stand in line for 90 minutes for, you know, Seven Mind Train or Frozen. I'm like, what? I just wasted an hour and a half of my life. Like, hey, I just don't like waiting in line for an hour and a half. I don't know if anybody else does, but it might be the happiest place on earth for kids. Not this guy. So, anywho. But... But it's interesting that, that Disney World, they attract, they draw 58 million people a year. 58 million people. And out of the 58 million people, 10 to 20% of them come from outside the U.S. So that's somewhere between 6 and 12 million people from outside the U.S. are attracted to the happiest place on earth. Now you say, Josh, why do you share that? Because today we will be looking at how God's people, the, the church how we should be the drawing magnet that attracts people to God. 
And what we will see is Israel's mission statement, which we'll see at the very end, Jesus took up Israel's mission statement, gave it to the church. So Israel, they were plopped right in the middle of the world to act as this centripetal force. You say, that's a big word. Centripetal means drawing in. It's this magnetic draw in. So so behind me should be be an image of how Israel, they they were were to be a, a nation that attracted people to the glory of God. And that's what we should be today. We should be God's people in the midst of the world, attracting, drawing the nations in. And so the main point that we will flesh out this morning, and if you're ready, tell your neighbor, hey, uh, are you ready? Or ask your neighbor, are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. God's missional people are magnetized people. God's missional people are magnetized people. And how we are magnetized, we are charged with the glory of God and we reflect that glory. And as we reflect that glory in all spheres of life, God draws people to himself. You do realize that the church, we have nothing in and of ourselves to draw people to God. The only thing that we have inside of us, living through us, is the glory of God deposited by the Spirit of God because of the work of God and Jesus on the cross. That's what draws people to us. It ain't because we preach some fluffy sermons and it's not because we have watered down the word so that everybody can feel happy go lucky. The, The magnetized charge is the glory of God. And so with that, everybody okay? I, I mean, I'm, char- I'm charged. I'm charged. You know, maybe running on fumes, but I'm charged. All right, here we go. Well, let's stand up and read Exodus 19. And we'll look at Israel's mission statement. Like, if you really want to understand the Old Testament, if you want to understand what the purpose of Israel was, you have to get Exodus 19. All right, so on the first day of the third month, this is verse 1, after Israelites left Egypt... On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai after they had set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. And here's what the Lord said to Moses. This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. So these are the words of God. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. I destroyed Egypt. You didn't. I did. I defeated Egypt. And I carried you on eagle's wings. What's interesting about this idea of eagle's wings, like if you've watched Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, J.R.R. Tolkien, he actually depicts eagle's wings when eagles swoop down and help Frodo and his friends or the eagles swoop down and help Bilbo and the dwarves. Like They didn't do anything. But what happened is the eagles swooped down and saved them and delivered them. And so what God is saying, you didn't do anything to get your tail out of Egypt. I did everything. Like like an eagle swooping down, picking you up and carrying you to safety. I did that. And I brought you to and what I brought you to myself. Here's the reason why I did it. I saved you to myself. All right. And then verse five. Now, if you obey me fully, here's the thing. I've saved you. Now, here's what I want you to do. I've saved you. I want you to obey fully. Well, what, 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 what do you want us to do, Lord? All right, here we go. I want you to keep my covenant. And then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. And what's so fascinating about this is God is speaking from the top of the mountain. He sees the whole world. And as he looks out the whole world, he says, Israel, I have chosen you to be my special 
special possession so that the world might know me through you. I've chosen you to do that. And then, and then he goes on, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me, everybody say it, a kingdom of and a holy And these are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you would be lifted high this morning. And may you be the center of this message. And I pray for Northland Church, my brothers and sisters whom I love dearly, that we would be your magnetized people living on mission that you would use us in such a way to draw men, women, boys, and girls throughout the central Florida area, throughout the state of Florida, throughout the U.S., to the ends of the world. Will will you use us, charged with your glory, to attract those far from you to your beauty, your splendor, your grace? And it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, let's be seated and get to work. Everybody, get, everybody. Oh, hey, get to work. Look at Labor Day weekend, we will work. Here we go. All right, there's three ways that we are magnetized people. Three ways we are magnetized people. Number one, we are magnetized by who we are. We are magnetized by who we are. And we are treasured Possessions. Now, the word here for possession means property. And, and, and it was actually in reference as it described kings who had special possessions. And so God, he, he is king, Yahweh, he is king, God, Yahweh, same person. He is king of the cosmos. He is king of Israel. And Israel is his treasured possession. Now, what is fascinating is we were in Genesis. This is one uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And out of all of creation, mankind was God's treasured possession. It was, you know, humanity was the crescendo of God's creation. No other being on planet earth you know, had the same place as human beings. And then you fast forward to last week, we looked at Abraham. And Abraham, he was just minding his own business. He was a pagan, polytheistic worshiper, worshiped many gods. And God reached down and said, I'm going to choose you, Abraham. There was nothing special about Abraham. What God just said is that you will be my special person. And through you, I will create a special people. What we have here is the development of that. And what God is telling Israel, you are my treasured possession. And it wasn't because Israel was mighty. It wasn't because they were strong. It wasn't because they were ingenious. It wasn't because they were creative. It was, I mean, it was nothing to do in and of themselves. It was everything to do with God. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his prized possession. Out of all peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and he kept the oath, he swore to your fathers. Now, 
I'm going to show you a picture here in a second, and you cannot judge me, okay? So tell your neighbor, don't, don't judge Pastor Josh. Don't judge Pastor Josh. I want to show you my treasured possession. All right, here, here's my treasured possession right here, our treasured possessions. So uh, I, I have, a, I have a, a lot of clothes, and I have a lot of shoes. It was interesting when we moved down here. I got here before the family did, and so I called Joni, no lie, called Joni, and I said, hey, babe, uh, can I have the larger closet? Because you know I have way more clothes than you do and shoes. And she says, well, of course you can have it. And so guys, I don't know if you can get away with that, but I did. And so, but, but that, but that's my treasure possession. So, so every morning I walk in and go, I wonder what I'm going to do today with my clothes, with my shoes. What pants am I going to wear? What shirt am I going to wear? What shoes, what belt? And again, I, I think you've heard me say this. I make sure my shoes, my belt and my watch band all match. They are my treasured possessions. All right. So again, you cannot judge me. I I told you, you cannot judge me for my wardrobe and my closet. But I show you that because what God is saying to Israel, I own you. See, my my clothes, they work for me. My clothes exist for me. My shoes exist for me. And what, what Israel, what their existence is all for is for the glory of God. And, And here's the thing. God treasured them, not because they did, but because he declared. God treasured them because not of what they did, but because of the fact that he declared. He declared them that I love you and you're my treasured possession. Not because of who you are, not because of what you did, but because I declared. It's kind of like my, my, again, my my clothes. I walk into, well, sometimes I, I go online to Banana Republic. Sometimes I go online at Amazon and sometimes I go into the store, but I always go to the clearance rack. I've been trying to teach my kids about this thing called clearance racks. And so, but they, they, they still haven't really registered. But I go in and I declare, I, I want you. Not, 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 not really because of what, I want you because of, of me. Not, not because you want to be picked. No, I want to pick you. See, God picked Israel. They are not their own. That's why Paul will say later on that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You don't call the shots. The one who purchased you calls the shots. Now, I hope you, I hope you see this, this theme, this identity theme running throughout scripture. And here's the principle. God owns you. You do not own God. You don't get to determine which part of God's word you follow. You don't get to determine what you think God would want you to focus on. You don't get to determine what's on the heart and mind of God. Treasured possession speaks of who they are. They belong to God. They exist for God. God doesn't exist for them. God doesn't belong to them. God doesn't answer to them. They belong and they answer to God. Part of the magnetization for mission is understanding who and whose we are. And then, think about it this way too, we'll never attract a dark world unless our identity is attached to the light of the world. Could it be the reason why the church is having a very difficult time reaching and engaging a dark world is because they look just like the dark world? Am I okay? All right. All right, number one, we are magnetized people by who we are. Number two, We are magnetized by what we do. So who we are, treasured possession. What we do, kingdom of priests. Now, a kingdom of priests 
describes more of their function and their purpose as God's treasured possession. Now, what's interesting here is that the priesthood hasn't been created yet. It won't come until a few more chapters later. But here in Israel's mission statement, God tells them, you will be to me a kingdom, a nation of priests. Well, well, what what did priests do? Well, there were at least three functions that priests did as the priesthood came about. Function number one, the entire nation or kingdom would live perpetually in light of God's presence because that's what a priest would do. They, they would live perpetually in light of God's presence. Everything a priest did revolved around the presence, the glory of God. Now, what's, again, fascinating in, in Israel's history is that, again, a few chapters later, you will see the creation of a tabernacle. And the tabernacle was where God's presence would be, and that's where the priest would mediate between God and the people. But the priest would live forever, perpetually in light of God's presence. But also the nation would too. Why? Because the tabernacle would be stationed right in the heart of Israel. So the center of of camp during their wilderness journeys was the tabernacle. It's, It's stationed right there in the midst of Israel. And then you fast forward, and later on, and we'll see next, we'll We'll see this coming weekend where David wants to create the temple, but he can't do it, but his son will. But the temple was stationed right in the middle of Israel there in Jerusalem. Now, why did God do that? Because he wanted Israel to perpetually live in light of his presence and his glory. And so you fast forward through redemption history. Well, where does God's presence, where does his glory exist today? In the church. That is the reason. And why that is one of the one of the reasons why we come together as the gathered church as the corporate church because we get together as these micro temples we form this larger temple and God's presence falls on us God's presence meets with us God's glory meets with us in a special way with the gathered church then he does just as individuals sitting at our desk with the Bible he still meets with us but it's something about the Bible would speak to this. It's something about the corporate gathering of the saints when the temple comes together and says, Lord, will you meet with us? Will you talk to us? Will you shape us and mold us? And so therefore, we meet together as the church as a way to perpetually live in light of the glory of God. So worship God on the golf course, worship God at the lake, worship God at your desk individually, but you cannot forsake the gathering together of the saints, the corporate gathering of God's people. Because we are to live perpetually in light of God's presence as a kingdom, not as individuals, a kingdom of priests. But but the second function of priest is that the entire nation and kingdom would serve both God and the world. They are mediators. They are serving God. At the same time, they are serving people. They are serving as a nation. They are serving the world. Now, I know what some might say in regards to this point. You might have the question, all right, well, that that sounds great, Josh, that God's people were to serve God and the nations, but what about the conquest? 
You know, God had Israel go into the promised land and kill all of the inhabitants. In fact, some people would look at the Old Testament and then they would look at it and look at God in the New Testament and say, well, there's two different gods here. The Old Testament God is one of vengeance, wrath, judgment, and war. And the God of the New Testament is one of love, forgiveness, and grace. Let me just say this. I can assure you that the God of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? So I can say that. Now, what was happening, though? What, 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 why did God use Israel to go into the promised land and to wipe out the inhabitants? All right, so remember last week, Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham, says, I want to make you into a great name and a great nation, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So a great nation is going to come out of Abraham. But listen to Genesis 15, verse 16. Here's what God tells Abraham. In the fourth generation... Your descendants will come back here, talking about Canaan, talking about the promised land, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, what God was telling Abraham, I want to give you this land, but the sin of the Amorites, the sin of the Canaanites, those who live in this land, their sin has not reached full measure. So I got to wait. I got to be long suffering. I got to be patient. I got to be gracious to these people because their sin has not reached full measure. In other words, God poured out his grace and his mercy on the inhabitants of the promised land. But after 400 years, and after now, Abraham's descendants had become numerous as the stars in the sky. Now he's going to use them as a tool of his judgment and bringing that judgment to the inhabitants of their land because their sin had reached full measure, which is another reason why the whole idea of God setting up Israel as his treasured possession, as his kingdom of priests, and as his holy nation, as we will see in a second, they could not act any way they wanted to because because if they act just like the pagans, God could not use them as his tool of judgment. But this idea of a kingdom of priests, they are to serve both God and the nations. And once in the promised land, they were to mediate between God and the other nations, which is why you will read things like in Isaiah, that Israel was to be a light to the nations, attracting the glory of God. The third function of a kingdom of priests is this, learn the law and teach the law, proclaiming the truth and knowledge of Yahweh. So what they were to do as a people is they were, they were to learn the law. The, the law was going to be taught to them. They were going to learn the law. And then they were going to proclaim the truth and knowledge that Yahweh, Yahweh is sovereign over all other gods. So God's going to put them in the middle of the world to mediate between God and the world. So they were going to function as a kingdom of priests. So who they are, what they did, and then the third way that they are going to be God's magnetized people. And let's camp out here for a little while. We are magnetized by how we live. So not only are we magnetized by who we are, what we do, but how we live. God tells Moses to tell Israel, they are not only my kingdom of priests, they are my holy nation. Now, the word holy simply means set apart, separate, distinct. Now, I want, I want, you, to, I want you to note this because this is extremely important regarding holiness. Holiness 
precedes salvation. Their salvation was not built upon their obedience to holiness. Let me say that again. Their salvation was not built upon their obedience to God's holiness. God had already saved them. God had already delivered them. God had already redeemed them. And because they were redeemed, because God saved them, they are to be holy. But what was contingent upon their obedience was the effectiveness of God's mission. Which again, I will propose that maybe, just maybe, the reason why the church struggles today in mission and effectiveness in mission is because they've lost their distinction. So once again, you don't have to be holy to work your way up to God. I want to say that again. Let me say it one more time. You don't have to work your way. You don't have to be holy so that you can work your way up to God. No, 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 no. God worked his way down to you. He saved you, delivered you. Now he declares you as his special possession. Now he wants you to be holy. So I, I can't say this even any more clear. God didn't send Moses to Egypt and said, hey, here's 613 laws, guys. If you can just keep at least half of them, God will deliver you. Now, he didn't do that. He delivers them, gets ready to give them the promised land and says, this is how I want you to live. I want you to be my distinct, separate, set-apart people. So just how would Israel be God's holy nation? Well, through their obedience to his laws, his rules, his precepts, his way of life. In other words, as they were obedient to what God would give them, they would actually become God's new humanity in front of the world. Which is why the next chapter, what you have in chapter 20, is God gives the Ten Commandments. Listen to verse 2, okay? Chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you, who saved you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You didn't do anything. I did everything, and I brought you to myself. Therefore, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I saved you. You're my treasured possession. You are now this kingdom of priests that I've declared. Now you are set apart and distinct. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, at that time, there were a lot of gods on the face of planet Earth, especially in Mesopotamia and Egypt. Here's some gods of Mesopotamia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing these gods' names right, but who cares? I ain't worried about offending them. All right, here we go. But, but. <laughs> On was the supreme Mesopotamian god. Enki was the wisest of the Mesopotamian gods, so he was the god of wisdom. You had Enlil, the great mountain god. You had Marduk, he was the king of the gods. You had Ishtar, the queen of the universe. Shamash, the all-seeing god. And then Nana, the god of the moon. Now, in Egypt, where they had been delivered, you had a lot of gods, too. You had, like, Amahe, the god of the underworld. Amun-Ra, the god of sun and air. You had Amon Hotep, the god of healing and wisdom. You had Anat, god, uh, goddess of fertility, sexuality, love, and war. You had Anubis, the god of the dead. Anuke, the war goddess. You had Baal, the storm god. You had all these gods. And what God is saying is that you are done chasing after other gods. You only have one god in your life, and his name is Yahweh. It is not Anuke. It's not Shamash. It's not... Uh, 
And you say, well, how does that apply to us, Pastor Josh? Because it's the 21st century, we don't have all those gods. You're right, we don't, but we have new names for them. And they're called individualism. I just worship myself. I, everything revolves around me. Uh, we have the God of materialism. We have the God of vocation and career and jobs where everything revolves around your job or your career. We have the God of success. We have the God of money. We have the God of politics. I worship a donkey. Oh, no, no, no. I worship an elephant. Well, here's the thing. We worship as the children of God, the line of the tribe of Judah. All right. So, but anyways, we have the God of politics. We have the God of nationalism. We have the God of sexuality. We have the God of happiness. We have the God of good works. But what God is telling his people, you shall not have any other gods before me. I am preeminent. I am supreme. You shall not put anything before me. Then he goes on, you shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, which basically means don't defame his name. Don't say anything, don't do anything that defames the name of God. You shall remember the Sabbath day. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. What's interesting about the Ten Commandments is that the first half deal deals with the relationship God's people would have with him. Then the latter half deals with their relationship with others. And then after the giving of the Ten Commandments, what follows for the remainder of Exodus and then Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is this. God is going to take over half the pages of each book to describe the 613 laws that they were to live by. That's a lot of laws, Josh. Yes, there is a lot of laws there. But what's the purpose? Well, so the Ten Commandments, you could classify them as moral laws. Then the other 16 and 13 laws could be divided into civil and ceremonial laws. So when you combine the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial laws, you would get a guiding framework of the kind of people God's people would be in all spheres of life, how they related to God, how they related to their spouse, their family, their friends, and others, how they related to foreigners and strangers of different ethnicities and races, how they worked, when they worked, that they were to take off the seventh day of the week, how they were to pay a fair wage how they were to operate under the authority of God, how they were to steward their resources. Do you know that the people of God, they were to tithe the tenth? How many other nations had to tithe a tenth? None. And so they had to tithe their resources and then they were to take care of the poor. You realize that in Israel, there were supposed to be no poor people in Israel. There should never have been a poor Israelite. Why? Because anytime there would be a poor person, a poor Israelite, their needs would be met. The Israelites, they were to take care of the orphan and the widow. They were to take care of those with disabilities. They were to watch what they ate and how they ate. They were to care for creation, how they responded uh, to those who broke the law intentionally and intentionally. So they were to create a justice system. In other words, what God is doing through telling them to be a holy nation and giving him all of these, giving them all of these laws is how they are to be his new humanity in the midst of the world. So that's why I like Deuteronomy 4, 8 expresses what other nation is so great as to have such a righteous decrease in laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today. 
Now, here's something very important to note, and I really want everybody's undivided attention. So if you're tweeting right now, like, like let's listen up. The, the law of God was given in the context of his covenant with Israel. And this covenant and obedience to the law was to be exercised in the promised land that God was given them. In other words, you hear this. Holiness was only applied to Israel. See, God's laws did not apply to other nations and other people. In other words, Israel was not called to project these laws onto the laws of Egyptians, Canaanites, Amorites, and Hittites. Why? Because God was not in covenant with those nations. He was in covenant with Israel. However, if other people, other nations wanted to become part of Israel, then God's laws would apply to them as they were grafted in and becoming part of Israel. So if you're reading through the book of Joshua, the Gibeonites would be an example of this. Rahab and her family would be an example of this. Now listen to what I'm about to say because it will be extremely important to everyone here and online to understand the preaching ministry of Northland Church. And here it is. I will strive under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to preach the inerrant, infallible, and incredible word of God. I will seek to preach the whole counsel of God, and in doing so, I will tackle subjects and topics that are difficult and sometimes discomforting for us to hear. But hear this. The expectations of which I am preaching towards falls on the church, not on people far from God. So here's the thing. We want people far from God to be part of our gathering. We want them to hear about the Lord. We want them to see the contrast of God's community versus the community of the world. But I will never, I will never force God's holiness and his laws and the way we should live onto a culture that is far from God. Because what would happen is that I would say, this is your standard. You might need to walk, work your way. But no, that is not how you get to God. And so if you're here and you're engaging us or you're engaging with us online and you don't know Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this. You are loved and you are welcome and you are welcome to explore faith. You're welcome to explore Christianity. But here's the thing. You might not agree with everything that I say and that's okay because I wouldn't agree with everything that the world says either. We're different. Because... At the end of the day, if you are not under the lordship of Jesus, what we speak from, from God's holy word is for those who are under the lordship, the authority of Jesus. So in a very real sense, listen to this, please hear my heart, because you are not under the lordship of Jesus, you can, listen to me, you can live however you want to. You do whatever tickles your fancy. Be whatever you want to be. I mean that because you are not under the lordship of Jesus. But I want you to know this. Jesus loves you too much to leave you the way you are. 
He came over 2,000 years ago to die for you, to die for me, to die for the whole world. This whole world that is broken, that is messed up, that is fragmented, that is distorted. He came as the new Adam, the new Israel. He came as a new humanity to redeem a new human race. And if you want to be fully alive, if you want to know what it means to be fully human, if you want to actually tap into what it means to be an image bearer of God, you need to follow Jesus. Now, let me say a word to believers and Christians. If you want a comfortable, easy, convenient, happy, clappy, make me feel good so I can go home and pet my poodle kind of church and preacher, Northland won't be it. I want to be, a, I want to be faithful to preach the truth with love and in grace. And church, I want to be a pastor that calls us, not just you, us, me included, to holiness, to be set apart, to be separate, to be distinct. And I'm pleading you because I will say things that make you uncomfortable. I'll say things that make you want to put, put a little you know, uh, angry face on Facebook. I'll say things that makes you want to just react and send me a nasty email. I'm not saying that I've gotten those yet, but I want you to lean into the discomfort. I want you to lean into the discomfort because I cannot sit down with my Bible week in and week out and read it and not feel uncomfortable. Something's wrong with the human race, but God dealt with it at the cross. And so as I read who he wants me to be, I should be uncomfortable. But I also should have this peace and this comfort that surpasses all understanding because of how he loved us. So it's truth and grace. I'm going to knock over my water. Sorry. All right. Am I all right? Okay. All right, I got, one, I got one, more, one more little holiness thing. You ready for this one? Mm. All right, here we go. Here's one more thing about holiness as the people of God. As Israel would be holy, they would act as God's tool for both judgment and grace. Listen to this principle. This, this will blow your ever-loving mind right here. Holiness is meant to expose the holes of humanity and invite humanity in the wholeness of God. See, if we live as distinct and separate people, the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians that we expose the darkness. We make people around us feel uncomfortable because we live different than they do. And so therefore it makes them uncomfortable and it exposes their darkness and the holes of humanity while at the same time, this is why I love it because it's good news. While at the same time, our holiness is an invitation into wholeness. That's the reason why church, we have to be different because we're inviting people into the wholeness that God brings about because of Jesus's death and his resurrection. And you, you see this. Like you actually see this in the Old Testament. You see this in the New Testament. But here's a question. How did Israel fare? 
Not good. They failed. They failed at their missional effectiveness. You see, it began small because they didn't clean house in the land. God told them to wipe out the inhabitants of the promised land. They didn't. They left inhabitants in there, and God told them it would be a snare for you. And then you fast forward, and in many regards, they had this desire to be like all the other nations, which we will see next week. And then they began to chase after these other gods. And so therefore, they were putting gods before Yahweh. Yahweh was still there, but it was Yahweh plus all of these other gods. And so instead of being a light to the nations, their light was dim because they were like all the other nations. Church, we are not like the world. And I know I sound redundant, but we are not the world. We are not like the world. We are called to be the light of the world. And so therefore, we don't take upon the darkness of the world to reach darkness. No, we use the light of Jesus to reach darkness, all right? And so let me keep on. So their light was dim. And because of the nature of the covenant, what God had told them, hey, if you start following after other gods, if you become unfaithful to me, I will judge you and I will kick you out of the land. Just like he did Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned. God kicked them out of the garden. Israel is now kicked out of the promised land and they are scattered among the world. They are in exile. But in exile, God would send prophets, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And he would, he would tell Jeremiah, I want you to write about this new covenant. Tell Isaiah, write, write about redemption and restoration. Ezekiel, write about a time when I will deposit my spirit in their heart. And what you had is God is promising to, to restore Israel. But he's going to restore them with a better covenant. He's going to write the law of God on their heart because he's going to give them a new heart. And then he's going to say, not only am I going to give you a new heart, but I'm going to deposit my spirit in you so that you will walk in my ways, so that you will not deviate from my ways. And so we, are, we, we come to the close of the Old Testament where God is silent for 400 years. He doesn't speak. Why? Because his people hadn't listened. So why would he speak? But over 400 years pass, and then the dawn of new creation, the new hope arrives, and his name is Jesus. He's the God-man. He is God incarnate. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus is not only the better Adam. uh, Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the promises God made to Abraham. Jesus is the better Israel. What Israel failed to do in their missional effectiveness, uh, Jesus Christ does. He is God's treasured possession. Now, why is he God's treasured possession because he is God's one and only son. He is a kingdom of priests. He is the great mediator come to mediate a better covenant, which is why Jesus dies on the cross for the sin of the world to reconcile God and the nations. And then he is a holy man. He is distinct. He is set apart. There's no one like Jesus. And so what Jesus does throughout his ministry is he gives us this vision of the inbreaking kingdom of God what it means to be God's special possession, God's kingdom of priests, and God's holy nation. That's why we'll read things like Jesus telling us, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. He says, you shall not murder, but I also say, you shall not be angry with your brother or sister. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at another one lustfully. You shall not divorce. You shall love your enemies. You shall give to the needy. You shall not serve money, but serve God. You shall build your life, your house on the living words of God. You really should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And see, Peter's listening to everything that Jesus is teaching and everything that Jesus does, which is why Peter writes this in his first epistle. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What kind of language is that? That is Exodus 19 language because what Jesus did is he took up Israel's mission statement because they failed and now he's given it to the church. And we are to do what? Declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Peter writes that to believers that came to know Jesus, pagans, Gentiles, people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and people group. We are Northland Church. We are God's special possession. We are God's royal priesthood. We are his holy nation. That is the reason why we are God's missional people, magnetized by his glory. And let me ask you, are you magnetized or have you lost your demagnetization? I want you to, I want you to wrestle with that. Man, I'm excited about what God's doing because if, if, if we plug into him, oh my Lanta, oh my Lanta, what will he do? What will he do with a people charged with his glory, reflecting it in all spheres of life. Let's pray. Jesus, <laughs> this is such a fun but hard message to preach. But it's so needed to call your people back to why we exist. We exist for you. We exist to mediate between you and others. We exist to learn, love, and live in a manner that projects the kingdom of God breaking into this world. May Northland Church be that church that is so magnetized by your glory that people far from you Men, women, boys, and girls, they would see your beauty. They would see your splendor. They would see your grace. They would see your love. They would see your forgiveness. They would see what you're creating. And they would be drawn to be part of your kingdom, your people, where you rule with truth and grace. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. Church, I want you to feel the discomfort. I want you to lean into it. Because here's the thing about being a holy people. It doesn't mean we're perfect. Holiness, holiness means distinct, separate, set apart. 
And so while we are imperfect, what we are constantly drawn to is the perfection of Jesus. And so may you continue to be drawn to him and his beauty, not chasing after something that is unattainable in this life. And if you are far from Jesus, if you're sitting here online, you're far from Jesus, I invite you to where you are, repent. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of living my own life. I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm fractured. And I need healing. I, I need, I need you, Jesus. And I trust you as Savior, as Lord, as King. I want to become part of your people that you are renewing and shaping and molding into the new humanity. If you, if you want that today, after we sing, there will be people up here on the front. They would love to pray with you, talk with you. If you're online, you could just put in the chat, I, I received Jesus today. I just received Jesus today. Put that in the chat. Lord, have your way. May we leave different than when we came. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.